I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The story of two people who were part of the Christmas story, but they're unique in this sense. They really understood what this celebration was about. They, they're the ones who uniquely understood and got what the Christmas season is all about. Their names are Simeon and Anna. They are what you could call seasoned saints. They have walked with the Lord for an extended period of time and apparently have enjoyed His personal glorious presence. And they are full of an expectation that His promised Son is about to come. And it is altering their life. It is producing in them a deep, lasting expectation of joy for Simeon and Anna. They weren't caught up in the hype of a season. They were caught up in a person who was going to change their destiny and the destiny of many others forever. Will you look at this text with me? I want to focus on four aspects of the season for Simeon and Anna. May they become ours. May we set aside the cheap pursuits. Not that we won't have them in our life, but don't let them be the all-consuming thing this Christmas. Avoid the letdown. Avoid the letdown. First of all, this morning, I believe the Christmas for every believer should be a season of anticipation. Look at verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. He was righteous and devout. That is, he is a committed Christian man. We don't know what his job is. We don't know if he's a priest, if he's a leader in worship. We have no idea what he does. He's just at the temple. What is he doing there? He is waiting for the comfort or consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit is upon him. He's experiencing direction and input from God. He has been given a very fascinating word from God. The Bible says, in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit, who he was in tune with, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Fascinating statement. Simeon was full of anticipation because he was told that before he died, the Lord Jehovah's Christ, the anointed prophesied one from the Old Testament who would bear away the sins of many was going to come in his lifetime. And for Simeon, that changed his entire perspective. He lived every day of his life from that point forward expecting, anticipating that God's glorious provision through His Son, Jesus Christ, the anointed, promised Messiah, was going to come. And Simeon anticipated that when the Lord's Christ came, Everything would change. Verse 27, and you just got to love this next David. Now, this man who has been, verse 25, sensitive to the Spirit, verse 26, has a revelation from the Spirit, now moved by the Spirit. And you can bet that Simeon is thinking as he goes to temple on this day, this is going to be an awesome day. He senses the coming of the Spirit of God upon him. He begins to anticipate what will this day bring? What will it be? He has a heart that is ready to be guided by God to everlasting joy that is found in His Son, Jesus Christ. It, for Simeon and for Anna, was a season of anticipation. Friends, this morning, do you anticipate the return of Christ? Do you live saying, and as I ask this, please do not think that I do this every day, but do we cultivate a desire to see Him 
who brought to Simeon and Anna an unexpected jolt of joy that would sustain them for the rest of their life. Do you anticipate that you, when you came this morning, are going to meet with God as you sing His praises, that His Spirit is going to direct your heart to a place of anticipation where you wait expectantly for God to move and work in your life? Verse 28 leads us on. It says, Simeon, well, let's drop back into verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms. Somehow hearing the name Jesus, God saves, is the clue for Simeon. This is the long-awaited Messiah. This is God's anointed one. This is the one that will bring joy to the hearts of those who are brokenhearted. Simeon takes the Christ child in his arms. And I don't know how he holds him. I don't know if he cradles him head at the elbow and holds the child. If he extends him up as if one offered for the glory of God. I don't know exactly how it happens. But I know that he enters into a season praising God and saying. What is Christmas? It is a season of anticipation. It is for Simeon a season of spontaneous wonder, joy, and celebration. It is a season of wonder, of joy, and of celebration. Simeon says in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. A season of spontaneous wonder, joy, and celebration. Not true for everybody, is it? If we place our hope in seasonal things, in temporal things, in passing things, in people who can never meet all of our needs, we will be frustrated Christians. God wants us to find our wonder, our joy, our celebration, and the greatest gift that He has ever given to mankind. His Son, Jesus Christ. And Simeon, when he saw God's supernatural provision, his immediate response, take the child into his arms and praise God. This morning, did you come saying, God, and I want to challenge you to do this, did you come saying, God, I expect that as I sing deeper truths about Christ, about your work in saving grace, that I will be at some level stunned, amazed, astonished, filled with a passionate desire to respond in words of amazement to you? Do you come to worship expecting, like Simeon did, that this work of God that is revealed through Christ produces in us a spontaneous wonder, joy, and celebration? Let's take it a step further. As a Christian, are you happy in Christ? Are you satisfied in Jesus? Do you take the un time to unpack all that He has done for you? Do you in this season contemplate what it means, this word incarnation, God incarnas, God in fleshed? Do you think about what that means? Do you think about the difference that that makes for you eternally? Because if you do, it will cause in you this this sense of wonder? This sense of amazement? Do you ever drive down the road in your car listening to Christian music and just say, God, I am amazed at what Christ 
means for me, at the difference that His cross work makes for me that was made possible by His coming. It's not just a holiday. It's not a cartoon thing that we watch on TV. It is the very work of God that changes for every believer everything. Are you satisfied with Christ? Are you the kind of person that people like to be around because you are not needy, you are satisfied? I don't know about you, sometimes I just feel like I need a break from someone who is overly needy. And you know what I want to flee to? I want to flee to someone who is so deeply satisfied with Christ that their joy in Christ, their love for Christ, their amazement at Christ begins to rub off. I have two friends like that that are pastors. I have a number of friends in this church also. Chris Hussey and Harry Stoliker. Went out to lunch with Harry Stoliker on Tuesday. and he, just, he was like in a place of stunned amazement. Number one, that God used him on Sunday morning, which is true for all of us as pastors. You know what I'm saying? God, you used me today. He just felt toy. He said, Tim, I am at such a place where I can barely talk. I have such deep joy in Christ. And he just showered upon me what God's doing in his life. I didn't go away saying, man, I am totally drained. I, don't, I went away saying, God, do that for me. Let me be a vessel like Harry that is a blessing to his friends in Christ. Another dear friend of mine, Chris Hussey, a pastor at Abundant Life Community Church, a man who just exudes a love for Christ. If he calls me and says, can you hang out? My answer is always yes, yes. You know why? Because he loves Christ so much that when I'm around him, there is this, sense of being lifted up and encouraged. Folks, ask yourself this question. Am I a pleasure to be around? Or am I a seasonally based Christian who is finding shallow joy in Christ, not deep, sustaining joy in Christ? Is there a smile on your face on a regular basis because you understand what Simeon understood? He got it. He got the purpose of Christ's coming so much that it affected his life. It brought a smile to his face. He lived in anticipation of seeing Christ. And he lived a life of celebration and joy that just spontaneously was just part of his experience. Third truth that emerges comes in the words of Simeon. Look at verse 29. 29 to 32 is a song of praise that flows from the lips of Simeon. Just Let me just read this for you. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... You now dismiss your servant in peace. Folks, think about this. Have you ever been so happy and satisfied in Christ that you could honestly say, God, if I got your call today to die, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. Because I am finding so much joy and satisfaction in Christ that I can't imagine a better place to be than in His presence. Isn't this what the psalmist said, Psalm 1611? In your presence is fullness of joy and pleasures at your right hand that last forever. Have you ever been so full of love for Christ like Enoch who walked with God and he was not because God just took him? I have a pastor friend who passed away where we were in the fall, so it was, it was this summer, Phil Beach. I don't know of another man who exuded a deep, quiet, passionate love for Christ like Phil Beach. I went to his funeral and listened as people talked about the impact of Phil on their life. You know what they kept saying? He loved Christ so much. 
And he left for us an example, folks. I think Simeon is that kind of man who was so deeply satisfied with Christ that he was a pleasure to be around. Ask yourself the question, am I a pleasure to be around? Is my life full of joy that comes from knowing that Christ has all of my bases covered? That heaven is my home? Am I full of that kind of joy? Simeon says, dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation. Which, And just think about the astonishing place that Simeon finds himself in in biblical history. Think about it. He is holding in his hands the climax of everything that is anticipated in the storyline of the Old Testament. And when he sees it, he says, I am just God, I am just amazed. I am amazed. Christmas for Simeon, that season of the coming of Christ was this, third thought. It was a season of hope. Because he knew that Christ was coming. He was filled with confidence, a God-born, God-birthed confidence. Because Jesus Christ in Simeon's eyes was God's provision of hope for all people. Now follow this with me. You may now dismiss your servant in peace, sovereign Lord who directed me to this moment. Why? Verse 30. Why is Simeon willing to die that day? Here's what he says. My eyes have seen your rescuer, your savior, your salvation. And notice what it says in verse 31. Which you have prepared in the sight of all people. He is God's provision Simeon, as he talks about it, says, He is the one that you have prepared. Isaiah 9, verse 6. Listen to this verse. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is what? Given. Folks, here's how you have a relationship with God. He sees your need and He meets your need. He prepares a Savior for you. And He sends that Savior for you. And when Simeon holds the Christ, he says, this is the one that you have provided. This is the Son, Isaiah 9, 6, that you have given to bear the price. The horrendous price of all of my sin. And it is not a promise that is exclusive for Jewish people like Simeon. No, He is hope for all people. Verse 32, You have prepared Him in the sight of all people. How so? He is a light that reveals God's love to Gentiles. And He is the glory of Israel. He is the climax of the calling of the nation of Israel. He is why God called Israel into existence. So that through that nation, He could bring to the world a Messiah who would change everything. Look back to verse 10 of this same chapter. The angels meet with shepherds who were the outcast of their world, the untouchables if you will. The angel comes to them and says to them, Do not be afraid. I am bringing you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Folks, the ancient world of Palestine was a divided world. There were Jews and there were not. That was the ancient world in Palestine that Jesus came to. Gentiles were considered Gentile dogs. They were outsiders. What you have in this text is a Jewish man, probably a priest or at least a leader in worship, standing in the temple, giving thanks to God in a Jewish context for a son who changes everything for the world. He is God's provision, the one he prepared and sent for all people. Now, how does Jesus impact all people? 
you have to go to the next set of verses, verse 33. Just think about this. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about their son. He is the Christ. Every ancient Jew longed for the coming of the Christ because what they thought they were getting was the one who would throw off the oppression of Rome and set them free. But God had something greater in mind. He was not interested in liberating a segment of the world's population. The Jews. Simeon got it. He understood that Christ was God's provision for the world, for Jew and Gentile alike. And notice what he says. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, and this is where a lot of people wonder whether sometime between this point and the crucifixion of Christ, somehow Joseph seems to pass away, fade off the scene. Simeon blessed them. They're, they're marveling. They're like, amazed. Simeon says, may God bless you. Understand the ramifications of what God is doing. He has brought to you hope. And through you hope to the world, this child, he says, is destined to cause the fall and rising of many in Israel. And to be a sign that will be spoken, now listen to this, against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. What is he saying? As Jesus Christ, your son, grows up and enters into his public ministry and begins to speak the truth, he will reveal the perverse nature of the human heart and some will take up sword to kill. Psalm 118 is the passage that comes to mind. Simeon says, He will be for the falling and rising of many, which is a complete paradox, isn't it? Some he's going to lift up. Some are going to fall. Psalm 118 says, He is the stone which the builders rejected. He is the stone that the builders rejected. But to those who believe, He is the chief cornerstone. Do you see? Those that reject Him, stumble over Him and fall. And if you go read in 1 Peter, same passage is quoted. Speaking of the work of Christ, He causes some to stumble, and when they stumble, He falls on them in judgment. But those that believe what happens, He is the chief cornerstone that you can build your life upon. Think of this for Mary and Joseph hearing a psalm that was written a thousand years before, now being applied to their son. He is appointed for the rise and fall of many. Some will believe, some won't. Some will reject his teaching and seek to crucify him. And then he goes on to say to Mary this statement that must be so incredible to her. He says, Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too. I think about that statement. A sword will pierce your own soul too. And that's, that's it. And then Mary and Joseph are going to leave. And in the back of her mind is this prophecy about the Savior's, as we know from our perspective, His crucifixion. We know from Isaiah chapter 53 that He was pierced through for our sin. For, and look, in the original language, it speaks of for the benefit of Sinners, he is pierced. For his mom, this will cause deep sorrow, but for the world, it will cause great deliverance and forgiveness. Isaiah 53 picks up on this. Surely he took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But the truth is, he was pierced for 
my transgression. He was crushed for my iniquity. And the punishment that brought us peace fell upon Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. Folks, how is Christmas the message of hope? It is the message of hope because on the cross, the Savior bears our sin, is pierced through for our sin, hands and feet, brow, side, pierced through. His mother watches in agony as her son physically dies. But in his death, he gives the proclamation, it is done. The prophecy of Simeon is fulfilled. And salvation for Jew and Gentile, that is, for all people, is now available. That is why, folks, I make this statement. I quote Tim Keller when I say it. He says that biblical Christianity is the most inclusive, exclusive religion in the world. It is the most inclusive, exclusive religion in the world. Why say it like that? Because of two very, very simple truths. Exclusive, because Acts 4.12 says, there is no other way of salvation except through the shed blood and work of Christ. Puts it in these words, Acts 4 and verse 12. Salvation, freedom from sin, comfort is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we, what? You know what it says? There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You say, Tim, what is that? That is radically exclusive. That says that salvation cannot be found apart from Christ. That the Christian message of the Bible is the only means of true salvation. For you folks, for me, that should change everything. That should change everything. It is the most radically exclusive claim and yet, at the same time, it is radically inclusive. Because for everyone who believes, He is their Savior. And so John 3.16, familiar verse. God so loved the world that He what? Gave His only Son. Isn't that exactly what Simeon's saying? He is the salvation that you have prepared, that you have given unto us. A Son is given. God is radically exclusive because of our sin. He is radically inclusive through the cross. Whosoever will may come. John chapter 6. This, Jesus says, is the will of God. That you believe in the Son whom He sent. Why was Simeon so full of joy? Spontaneous celebration and wonder? Why? Because he held in his hands the hope of the nations. He held in His hands the hope for His own forgiveness. Mary, when she held Christ, said, My heart rejoices in God, my Savior. I wonder this morning, do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? Do you understand, as Rick Warren puts it in the book that I read last night, that salvation is not a matter of trying, but of trusting in what Christ has done for you? If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Tim, I want to get to heaven and I've been working so hard at it. I have news for you. There's nothing you can do. It's already been done completely by Christ at the cross for you. You can't try anymore. Well, you can try. But your trying will fail. I would beg of you this morning, trust Christ. Stop trying. 
come to him saying, I need help. I believe that is why Simeon, when he sees Christ and knows that now the fulfillment of the promise of salvation has come, he can say, let me depart. Let me go. My salvation has come. My sin is paid for. Heaven's door is open. Now let your servant depart. The word picture, be released like a prisoner. Take the stakes up and take down the tent. I'm out of here. Untying a ship and releasing it from the dock. This morning, friend, do you have that kind of hope? A hope that is rooted in the fact that God loves you so much that He, in eternity past, chose to send His Son to die for rebels. Do you have that hope this morning? Because that is what this season is about. I love this season. I love it. Try to have people over, enjoy fellowship. I love trees. Crooked trees are fine. I love all that stuff. I'm, trying, I'm thinking about a chocolate-covered Christmas train. I can't... My wife's not into it yet, but like a, like a dip kind of thing. It just, I'm just thinking, okay? I love this season, but folks, let's not lose what allowed Simeon, what caused Simeon to say, I can die and I'll be okay. Why? I have a Savior. I have God's promised Son. I have hope. Folks, we live in a world that lacks hope. A world of desperation. A world of trouble. A world that lacks bravery. You know what Simeon's saying? You know what Paul's saying? Philippians chapter 1. He says, I'm toying with the idea. I can stay and serve you or I can depart and be with Christ. Which would be far better. Would you not love to live as if you were dying? Would you not love to live so radical, so reckless, because you know that your future is covered, therefore you can lay everything down for the cause of Christ? You can be like Simeon and say, Lord, whatever, whatever, it doesn't matter. Nothing else matters now. Because I have the greatest satisfaction through grace so unmeasured that all my sin is paid for through Christ. He is your salvation that you prepared. I make, folks, please understand this, we make no contribution to our salvation. He is the Son that God sent, that God prepared. And He is the one who pays the price. Religion and performance can never give you hope. Religion and performance will never give you hope. We live in a world of people that are trying. Every world religion is distinguished from biblical Christianity by this fact. What you need in Christ has been done for you, therefore you need to do nothing. You can start trusting Christ and stop trying to redeem yourself because your attempts, your efforts are meaningless. I say, Tim, I feel so encouraged hearing that. It should be the most encouraging word you ever hear in your life that you can just today stop trying and trust the Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, what is the impact of such a message? The last thing that we see, just real quick, Anna, it is a season for sharing. For Christians, we call it evangelism or proclaiming the euangelion, the good news. She's a woman who is 84 years old. I love the way verse 36 puts it. It says, she was very old. I love that statement. She had lived with her husband, think about this, seven years after marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84 years old. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. She loved God. Coming to them at that very moment, oh, blessed set of circumstances. 
coming to them at that moment by chance. No, by God's sovereign design. At that very moment, she gave thanks to God. Can you imagine? Mary sees this, she's listening, or, or Anna sees this, she's listening. This is the consolation of Israel, Simeon says. She's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's what I've been praying for. The comfort of Israel. Mary is sort of pierced her side, Anna's thinking, that's, that's my Savior. That's my Savior that he's holding. And what does she do? Just notice this. Spontaneously, she comes up to them and gives thanks to God. And then, what does she do? She keeps the good news to herself like modern American Christians. No. No. What does she say? She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. And it's in the imperfect tense. She started talking and wouldn't stop. She was the, was, she was the one that didn't know, you should be careful when you're sharing your faith. You don't want to offend someone. No one clued Anna in on that. She thought this news was so good that it deserved to be shared with everyone. By a woman who was old 84 years, a widow who had lived a heartbroken life, but a worshiper. She spontaneously told everybody, He is the light, and she was committed to be a light bearer. But, not out of duty, but out of delight. Because she was stunned and amazed by the Christ child. Folks, the greatest witness for God, someone has said, Peter Drucker, is a satisfied customer. The greatest witness for God is a satisfied Christian. And the greatest hindrance to the advance of the Gospel is a Christian with a frown on their face who does not realize this is a season of joy and wonder and celebration. A Christian who gets caught up in the trivial at the expense of the eternal. It is the worst thing that we can do to walk around like everybody else. This woman had deep struggles in her life. She did not let it get her down. She went out and made a difference as an older woman to the folks in our church who are in those latter years which I am very close to. May we not reach for the bench May we instead reach for the finish line. Here's two people towards the end of their life still gutting it out for the glory of God. Two satisfied customers. Yesterday I went to a restaurant, actually it's a catering hall, called Bella DiGiorno. I think I got that right. Laura, is that right? Okay. I was there for an unusual occasion. It's a wedding reception hall. Visited it yesterday with my oldest daughter. This was not fun. <laughs> this guy's starting to cost me money, and I'm bitter. I'm bitter. Place is great, wonderful people, very welcoming, just beautiful. I'll tell other people about it because the experience there was so good. It was so good. And even. Please understand this. We went in. The first thing I said was, do you have any steak that I can taste test? The answer was, unfortunately, no. The best advertisement that a business can have is a satisfied customer. And the best witness that God can have is a Christian who is committed to unpacking Jesus so much that they are amazed and stunned to the degree that they celebrate the child who is the life of God in flesh. You want to make a difference? Love Christ. Unpack the cross. Study the cross. 
study the Savior. Let joy fill your heart because you have confidence, because you have a Savior who paid the price for your sin. And let the joy that we shared in singing this morning, this grace unmeasured, one day I will see Him. Just think about this. When Simeon died, he didn't complain. I'm off to a better place. I miss you all, but I'm off to a better place. Don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Because I'm going home. Will you commit to share Christ, the good news, this season? Will you go spend a couple dollars on a book that gives you an opportunity to say to someone, there is a purpose for this season? Will we open our mouths to say to people, there is a glorious Savior. This season is indeed a Merry Christmas. May God forgive our indifference and our apathy towards the world around us that doesn't know Christ. May we capture this contagious evangelistic spirit of Anna and cease to be silent about great news. This Christmas, do you have proper expectations? Are you valuing Jesus above all things? Are you valuing Jesus above all things? And if you're here this morning and, 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 and you're visiting and you're saying, what are you talking about? Here's my question for you. Do you have hope? Do you believe? Do you believe? The work that God wants you to do is to believe in the one that he has sent. That's the work of God that will change your life forever. And that will convert the Christmas season into a season of joy. That when it's over, if you set your priorities properly, you're going to get to the end of it and say, you know what, I know Christ better. I know Christ better. I love Christ more. I appreciate what He's done for me more. This week I'm going to shut down my calendar and get time with Christ so that I can be amazed in His presence so that when I see Him, when I meet with Him in my personal devotions, when I meet with Him as I'm listening to music, I can be like Simeon who takes Christ in His hands and says, oh Lord, thank You. You want to take me home? It's okay. It's okay. I trust you that much. I love you so much. May we live in this season of expectation, loving and savoring Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?